I've entitled today the importance of giving ourselves continually. You say, what does giving ourselves continually mean? Turn please to the book of Acts chapter 6 and let's read what the Bible says about giving ourselves continually. There's two sides to this coin. One side is ministers, fivefold ministers like myself, and the other side are regular Christian people like yourself. Every human being that calls themselves born again has a certain measure of giving themselves continually that God expects from them. Your life and your lifestyle may only allow X. My life and lifestyle may require Y. But both of us are under a requirement. And you don't have to do what I do, and I don't have to do what you do, but you're going to stand and give an account, and he's going to say, did you give yourself continually? And what that means for you, Hortense, might look a little bit different than what it means for Reverend Cola, might look a little bit different than Gloria or myself or Jessica. But as long as we all are doing what God has showed us is giving ourselves continually, we please the master and we, and we position ourselves to be propelled forward in our future. Amen. And a minister must do this even more than congregation members must because it is the key to where we're going in our future. So let's read chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows, the Greek widows, were neglected in the daily ministration, and basically it means a food. It was a ministry of helps issue. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not that ministers are too highfalutin or proud to do menial labor. That's not what this is saying. What they're saying is we have an important job to do and we have to seek God and pray to get revelation because we have to teach you. If we spend all our times dealing with all the problems of the people and serving the tables and cleaning up, we won't have time to do what God's called us to do. It's not that we're not willing, it's that there's something more valuable. Do you understand? Because God calls offices, we have to have the heart, Taylor, to clean. And once in a while, we should do it just to make sure that our heart is not rusty. Do you understand? But, but, but it's more valuable for a minister to wait and seek God and study the word because their responsibility to feed the sheep is so, so much, that responsibility is so much greater than mopping a floor. But we have to have the, the humility to be ready and able with joy to mop the floor whenever it's required. Do you see the difference? It's not that they're saying we're above this. What they're saying is our responsibility dictates our time is better used. You don't have the responsibility that we have. So you need to go and fix this problem. We're not going to be distracted from our study of the word because some people have a problem in the church. Are you with me? And this is where a lot of pastors miss it. They give all their time to the people's problems. Somebody doesn't like that person. Somebody's mad at that person. And the pastor's time is all eaten up. And then it's reflected because God will work only as far as the pastor has given himself continually. Okay. We will not leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually 
to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Continually means with constant diligence. It means effort is being exerted. It's not just them sleeping in all day long doing nothing and saying they're in the word. God, God doesn't like lazy people, especially lazy preachers. Amen. A lot of lazy preachers are saying they're in the word while they golf all day long. I'm telling you something about it. God, there is, a, there is an effort that is required on ministers to study the word, to read and to research and to pray and to fast and to wait quietly before the king. When you go to see Queen Victoria, you don't dictate when she sees you and you know, hurry up. I got an appointment. You better spit out what you need to say, queen. You, you know your place. You wait till she calls you. And if she decides to be quiet for a few minutes because she's thinking about something else, you shut your mouth and wait for her to talk because there's royalty in the room and you're not it. When Jesus, the king of all kings, invites you into his presence, sometimes he says, and he's done it with me many times, uh, sometimes he's quick to answer, he's quick to give. And other times, Willie, he said, I know, he says, you need to just learn to, be, to wait on me. Because I'm the king. You don't get to dictate when I talk to you. I want you to sit there for six hours and just be quiet and wait on me and worship me and reverence my presence. And, and sometimes it's that time just waiting on him is required because a king determines when he speaks to you. A lot of ministers have their golf tea time coming, so they're drive through McDonald McSession with Jesus. You better give me the sermon because I got to go out and do that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, with golfing or whatever. I'm saying that there is time required with God. And that is why ministers have got to get it right. And they've got to guard that time against all distraction. Oh, it's a little bit much tonight today. But anyway, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, let me start. This is not about this, but I want to start by saying this because it's in the scriptures. Verse one here says, if you read it with me, read it with me again, there was the church was multiplying. Did you notice at a time of growth and increase, flesh and demons got working together in the lives of Christians. Do you see that? These aren't Satanists. These are Christian people that are in the church born again. But their flesh and their yielding to demons without even realizing it is causing a problem. And just when the church is growing, Jenny, why is the church growing? Because we see the disciples have given themselves continually to the ministry of the word and prayer. Nothing will really cause a church to grow on solid foundation. You can get a church to grow quick overnight without the ministry of prayer and the word because you're in emotions and you're in uh, giving free cars and you're in the secret sensitive. But you're on the sand. The minute the problem comes, it's going to break apart. You want a church to grow strong and go grow bigger and go take ground for the kingdom of God on the rock? The ministers have to, and of course the people to a measure as well, have to give themselves continually to the word and prayer. This was happening, which is why they were multiplying. They wouldn't have multiplied if the ministers weren't doing their job. So when God has been talking to us about a surge of multiplication that's coming on the heels of that, he is talking to me about the price that must be paid by the congregation, but primarily by me and her and the leadership. Because God requires a continual giving of oneself to the things of the spirit if he's going to bless a work. If he is going to bless a work, a work can grow, but God didn't grow it. 
Lots of churches grow, but God had nothing to do with their growth. They grew because of their own ability, charisma. Uh, they, they were master organizers. A lot of churches grow simply because they don't tell people to repent. A lot of churches grow because people want to have sex with everything that walks and the pastor doesn't tell them to repent. So they love that kind of church. A lot of people don't want to tithe because it's a touchy subject. So as long as a pastor doesn't talk about money, oh, they'll come to that church. Those kind of churches grow massively, but God didn't grow them. They, were, they grew out of flesh. That's why Dad Dufresne called it the flesh church versus the spirit church. You can have a lot of people gather and have a big crowd, but they're all carnal. They're all flesh buckets. And the pastor or the minister is not teaching the word, but they love to get together because there's no requirement on them to live holy. Do you understand? So don't, don't think just because you see something big and fancy that it's anything to do with God. Are you, are you listening to me? I'm not making this up. Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, there's a labor in vain. If you, if you try to build the house instead of God building the house, you labor in vain. When God builds a church, he does build it strong. He does build it on a rock and he does build it big and he does build it with influence, but he builds it slow. He builds it with character. He builds it with the word and the spirit. He, he builds it over time. And his requirement, unlike the flesh church, is that the ministers have to give themselves continually Amen. to him. Amen. That's right. <sighs> it's very important because we're talking about glory, the surge. Uh, I got my bracelet on. You'll get one at the end of the service if you say amen. I've got my bracelet here. It says... Dramatic influx, divine joinings, surging forward. You might not get one if you don't say amen. You better say amen. <laughs> we all glory. But then when you talk about the price. It's like what happened to me the other day. I was looking at an old thing with Sylvester Stallone back in the 80s. He still looks good. I mean, the man always looks good. But I was looking at one of the old ones. He took off his shirt. My God. <laughs> you can see the six pack and you can see the pectoral muscles. And he's just walking around and I thought, yes. <laughs> that is what I am going to look like. <laughs> yes. She loves me now. Wait till she sees what I'm going to look like. But then in the interview, he started talking about how many hours he's at the gym. And then I heard that and I said, no, that is not what I'm going to do. <laughs> because it's great to see the result until you talk about the price. And everyone said, Catherine, oh, wonderful, wonderful Catherine, until you see the price she paid. And nobody's willing to pay that price. And that the price is worth it because the fruit and the doing it for Jesus anyway. But my point is, the day that God talked to us about the surge, he said to me at the 1 p.m. service in the worship, he said, now I've told you what's coming. He said, I need to talk to you about the price, son, because if you don't pay the price. And I said, but it's free. What do, you, what do you mean pay the price? I knew what he meant, but he said, if it's easier for you to swallow, what I'm talking to you is how to position yourself for this. You're not earning it. You're not paying for it, but you're positioning yourself. If you don't position yourself, your flesh has to be put under. You've got to have your old wineskin repaired. 
or I can't pour it into you. And, and, and where you are now, you'd explode and the whole church would explode if I poured out my glory on you. So I'm going to get you ready, but I'm telling you some time in advance so you have time to prepare for it. Because this revelation about the surge is reserved for the Hebron season. That's why God didn't tell us about it last year. In fact, this revelation was reserved for the second room within the mansion of Hebron because for the first six months, we just were in the foyer. But on June 21st, he said, you're going walking, you're stepping into another room within that mansion. And in that room, there's new angels. In that room, there's no more finances. In that room, I'm going to talk to you about what's coming. And you see, every room holds different things. And, and when we're faithful in this room, he'll move us to the next room. And this is a mansion with many rooms over a seven and a half year period, because that's how long he told me it's going to last. But when he's talking about all these wonderful things coming, Jenny, if, if, he, if he's faithful and true, which he is, he has to talk to us about the price. Otherwise, it won't happen. And so he's been dealing with me a lot about this verse and about the reason they multiplied is because they gave themselves continually. Now, what happened? Immediately, the enemy in flesh started to work to what? Try to distract the ministers from giving themselves continually. Why? Because the devil wants to stop the multiplication. And if he can get the ministers disconnected from their spiritual supply of word and prayer and into the flesh and into worrying about this and worrying if I've offended that person and trying to raise money and trying to keep the machine working and trying to counsel everybody with their little problems and big problems, justifiably so, but still it takes time. And trying to control everything the staff do and trying to do this, there's no time to give themselves continually to the word and prayer. And then the devil has succeeded in his subtle tactic of trying to dis distract, 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 and get you away from the only thing that's really necessary in order for the vision and the plan of God to go forth in the earth. And did you notice who he used? He used woman. Notice he used Eve, praise God. I'm just kidding, ladies, I can see some of you. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Some of the ladies are getting, I take it back. Well, Eve did miss it up. And these were widows. That means they're females. They're, they're women. The women were always get us men in trouble. Always get us men in trouble, you ladies. I'm just a kidding. I'm just a kidding. So it doesn't matter if they're women or men. It makes no difference. The point is, is that these ladies, these people, are, be, are feeling left out. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to something. This started as a ministry of helps failure it turned into a racial issue. Because if it wasn't racial, then you wouldn't see it mentioned that it was the Greeks against the Hebrews. It would just say people, ladies, women, widows, were being somewhere, but that specifies two different nationalities, two different cultures, two different races. Why does God specify that? Because when there's going to come growth to a church, the requirement is the ministers and to a certain measure, the people must give themselves. The devil will work overtime to try to stop that because that's what's required. He will work through people in the congregation. He may try to attack from the outside as well. And he did at different times with persecution, with the king decapitating James. And he'll work with outside stuff, but he loves working inside the church too. And he will try to get good Christian people that love God, uh, getting them offended. What, what was happening here? There was disunity and offense that was bubbling within the church. And then it became a racial issue. And all of that was for one purpose. What was the purpose? To pull the men of God away from seeking God with prayer and fasting because that was required to cause the church and the vision to go forward. Now, I want you to notice they didn't ignore the problem. If you look at it here, they didn't ignore the problem. 
They didn't ignore what their responsibilities dictated, but they didn't allow the problem to rob them of their spirituality. Do you understand? They said, we are not going to waste time dealing with this because we recognize what's most important. And we're not going to go into that trap the devil has set up for us. So it's going to take all of our time and all of our energy and cause us frustration to deal with all of these problems amongst the congregation. We are going to stay where God put us and we're going to do our job, which is the ministry of prayer and the word. But we're not going to ignore the problem. We're just not going to let the problem distract us. Do you see the balance there? You can't ignore problems. You must deal with problems, but you can't let them distract you from your job. I'm talking all of us. You have, you have a job to do. You can't, you can't ignore your responsibilities to your job, to your children, to your mate, and just say, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to give myself, and your house is in disarray, and you're not paying your bills, and everything is falling apart because you've ignored your responsibilities just to pray. No, that's not what the Bible says. You do pray. I'm talking to you as regular people. You pray, but you do your responsibilities. You make sure you take care of it, but you don't let it rob you and distract you of what's most important. So do your job and do your this and do your that and live a normal, healthy, balanced life. But don't let all the stuff going on pull you away from your time with Jesus because it will try to distract you. Are you with me? We, are, we have to live a real life with a real world and real live time. And there's problems and there's pressures and there's busyness. But we are, with the Holy Ghost help, we can balance the busyness of this life and yet accomplish and take care of our responsibilities, but not let those responsibilities rob us and distract us from our time with God. Amen. You as individual Christians need to get this because some of you don't pray during the week the way you should. And some of you don't read your Bible the way you should. And some of you don't seek God and and call out to him and wait on him and worship him and fall in love with your first love. You do it at church, but you don't do it in the week because you have let the responsibilities of life distract you from giving yourself continually. You've got to give. Now your continually might be different to mine because you may not have as much physical time, but you can still do your part. My, I have, may have to give more hours because of my role as a pastor, but we are both to be continually spiritual people seeking God on a daily basis and not letting distractions rob us. Although not ignoring them, dealing with those responsibilities, but not letting them rob you of your spirituality. Are you with me? So what happened in the church as it began, as the ministers began to seek, as the people continued to seek, what did God do? Multiply. Then what happens? The devil comes in on the side doors. Flesh comes in on the side doors. He works with fleshly people. We're only stronger as our weakest link. And now this person's mad at this person. And it's only about ministry of helps and food, but now they're making it racial. And now there's a big hubbubaloo and everybody's offended. And now the church could start to split and fall apart. And yet with all of that stress, the wisdom of the apostles said, we understand this has to be dealt with, but we're going to get Holy Ghost people to deal with it. But we are not going to let it rob us of the most important thing that we have. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. One thing is needful. And that is the part that Mary has chosen and it shall not be taken from her. Jesus defended the one that sat at his feet and rebuked the one that was busy, busy, busy. And you better pay attention because all your busyness does never, never takes the place of sitting with him. You get so busy working for God, you forgot about knowing God. 
We get so busy counseling people's problems, we forgot about worshiping him. You are guilty and I am guilty and we're all got to work on this. Now, let me add this to it. Notice that there were racial issues back in the early church. Yes. Did you notice that there are racial issues now? Probably more so than ever. Let me tell you something that is very important. This is not about race, but I want to just mention some thoughts that I wrote down to you uh, because it's important. This, was, this did not start because of race. This started because of Ministry of Helps and Food. But it turned into race. Yeah. Do you understand? A lot of things start and they're not even about race, but carnal people under the influence of demons make it about a racial issue. We have got to get, Pastor Nancy said something to me and some ministers a little while ago when she was doing a private session. And she said these words, I want you to pay attention to them. She said, distinctions are tripping places. Distinctions. Anything that causes a distinction is a tripping place for you. Skin color is a distinction. It's a tripping place. Gender is a distinction. It's a tripping place. She, she has said to me, I have to ignore the fact that I'm a woman when it comes to ministry. Because some people won't accept me as a woman because their mind's not renewed to what the Bible actually says about women in ministry. And women are fully allowed to be in ministry according to God's word. But religious people have perverted scriptures, taken them out of context, have not studied the original meaning, and now believe that women can't preach. Right. And so that's a, that's a point of distinction, Right men versus women so she has to ignore the fact that she's a woman and just fulfill the call of God on her life you see the point of distinction with gender is a is a is a tripping point now the bible says and i read it a little while ago to you i don't have it in my notes but it says that in christ we, there is no bond or free that means slave or not slave there is no male or female there's no rich or poor there's no jew or gentile what is that race what God is saying is, in Christ, we are one. Remember the book Pastor Nancy wrote and Dad Hagen wrote, in Christ scriptures, and there's scripture after scripture after scripture, you can get it in our bookstore, all about the in Christ realities. Listen, if anybody ever asks you, what is the New Testament about? Dad Hagen told us, the entire theme of the entire New Testament can be summed up in one phrase, life in the Spirit. It's not just born again, it's about being born again, that's the entry into the doorway, and then learning to live life in the Spirit. That includes being led by the Spirit, that includes praying in the Spirit, that includes ministering in the power of the Spirit. Living in the Spirit is the New Testament theme. Right. But you can't live in the Spirit if you're not born again. So the secondary New Testament theme is in Christ. That's why there's so many verses that talk about in Christ. We even call them theologically in Christ realities. Because we are in Christ, Willie, it doesn't matter that you're a woman and I'm a man. Because we're in him, we're equal. And some husbands and wives better renew your mind to that. Because you're macho and you think you're over the wife and you're not. In Christ, you're one. In Christ, if you're poor and I'm rich, I don't think less. I don't treat you different because my reality is not about your economic status like the world is. My reality is we are in Christ that makes us one. Your skin might be a lovely shade darker than mine, but that's the whole point. It's a distinction. There is no distinctions in Christ. In Christ, we are one. It doesn't matter what our color is. We are one in Christ. He's made us one blood of all all nations. 
Anything that is a distinction causes division. The devil loves division. The world system is based on division and strife. That's why they have no anointing because the anointing can't operate in strife. So that is why the politicians and everything is based on hatred, attack, strife, division, lies, accusations. You see, all of this contention, all of this strife and division, all of these, all of these uh, distinctions cause strife, disunity, and that's what the devil's kingdom thrives on. But the church is totally different. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. The world thrives on making distinctions your business. The ratings of the news are totally based on distinctions. They want you to hate the Democrats if you're Republican. They want you to have this lives matter and that lives matter and be all worked up about race. They, want, they love that. They thrive on getting distinctions head news. I'm trying to help you if you're listening to your pastor. As a believer, that is why unless you're strong, you shouldn't watch that stuff because it will get in you. If you're a baby Christian, you've got no business watching the news. Oh, but you're telling me that I need to be ignorant? I didn't say you need to be ignorant. I'm saying there is this, the spirit of the world, the demon spirit of the world is on those news agencies. And they are influenced by that spirit. And their platform is one of division and, and deviance. They are promoting lawlessness. They are promoting hatred. They are promoting contention. Why? Because they thrive. Their ratings thrive on emotionalism and people reacting. But the, the church does do the opposite. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We, our, we don't thrive on disunity and discord. We thrive on unity and peace. The anointing works in our midst and in our lives because we walk in love, because we're one in Christ, because we're one, that means one, unified in unity and in love and in joy and in peace with each other. That's because we're born again. He said they'll know you because of your love one for another. In other words, your love, your unity, your peace with each other. Yes. They'll see they're different. Why? Because the world has no unity and love and peace. Wow. They have no anointing. We have it. Amen. So these, uh, these things called distinctions, you've got to be real careful of them. Because the world thrives on trying to pit people against people. Rich against poor, men against women. Different, you know, subgenders sexually. And then skin color is a big issue. It's all distinctions, but in Christ, we're one. There is no distinction. So I only did the Zoom session about the racism. I did that a little while ago. I announced it is because not everybody in our church has renewed their mind to the fact that they're in Christ. And the Lord said to me, I want you to do the Zoom session because some of them are babies. See, I wouldn't have to do the Zoom session if people have renewed their mind to the fact that we're all the same. But some are still renewing their mind to that. So the Zoom session helped them because I gave them scripture. But Jenna says that sometimes I have to do that. But what I'm saying is if you want to grow up in God, you've got you to look past a gender issue. You've got to look past a color issue. You've got to look past a socioeconomic issue. You've got to look past, and you just remember, it don't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have, what country you're from, what language, what food you like. We are in Christ together. We are one. We love each other with the love of God. Romans 5, 5 shed abroad in our heart. And because of that unity and that love bond, we have the power of the anointing at our disposal. See, that's the church. That's why you keep watching the news. You'll start thinking and acting like the sinner, even though you're saved. Yeah. 
I don't know. Some of you don't like it. I can tell by your faces. Let me read a couple of statements and I'll move on. We have to ignore our skin color. Our skin color must disappear. If you keep thinking of yourself in terms of your skin color, you're a baby. You're acting like the world. Your skin color, my brother and sister, have to disappear. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I should say it, Jenny, but I hear the Holy Ghost telling me, so I'm going to obey him even though it might offend somebody. Somebody said to me in our church, and I, lo I love this person who said it, and they may, I don't know if they're here this morning right now, but, or they might, I don't know if they're watching or not, but I'll say it anyway. I'm not against you, person who, you know who you are, because I know your heart, you didn't mean it. But somebody said to me, Pastor, I'm a proud black woman, and I, I've got to, and I, immediately I was grieved. Oh my God, I was grieved. And I tried to talk to them, but they didn't get it. You're not a proud black woman, and you're not a proud white man. We are proud in Christ believers. If you see your identity as a strong black person, a strong Chinese person, a strong this color person, a strong that person, you will see yourself from the perspective of skin color and that is so abysmally in the gutter. You have demeaned yourself as a son of God to look at the color of your skin. What you should is not be a proud white, proud black, or proud brown. It's proud believer. Amen. I'm in Christ. That's my, that's my, that's my, that's who identifies me. We've got to talk about it because the world is going to beat you down and tell you that you're getting a short end of the stick because you're black. And that they're getting a better end of the stick because they got white privilege. You need to say, I bind that in Jesus' name. It might be happening out there, but in my life, I am in Christ. And because the favor of God, Psalm 512, encompasses about me as a shield, it don't matter the color of my skin, and it don't matter what my demon-possessed boss thinks or doesn't think, the blessing will make me overcome, and if God has to get my boss out, he will get my boss out. If God has to replace him, he'll replace him. My job is not to worry about white privilege, black this, black that. That's not my place. I don't see distinction. I'm in Christ. That's my identity. And the favor of God is on me. And the blessing of Abraham is on me. And I will overcome. And if I've got a racist boss, God will take care of him. But he won't let me suffer because of his sin. Now, if you get into this game that the world plays, you block the power of God from promoting you. But if you just ignore all that nonsense and just focus on I'm in Christ and the blessing of Abraham will cause me to overcome no matter what. Racist people, not racist people, people that like me, people that don't, blah, 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 I don't care. The blessing of Abraham will overcome you and God will remove you if you try to stop my increase. And you might be get away with it for six months while God is giving you a season of mercy, you old fool. But you just hold your, just hold on because you don't know who I am. I ain't no proud black man or proud white woman. I'm in Christ. My skin matters not. It's my covenant that matters. And the blessing will make me overcome. Even if they're racists out there, they have no right to hinder me. See, you got to get that down on the inside of you. Then all this nonsense will be another thing to you. Because if you don't really, you'll always be wondering, did I miss that promotion because they're racist? Did I miss that promotion because I'm a woman? Did I miss that promotion because, you know, I, I'm not in his clique or I'm not in his little thing? The blessing of Abraham overcomes all of that. Just focus on the fact that your identifying features is Christ. Claude, I'm trying to help you. This will set you free. And unfortunately, a lot of pastors don't preach this. 
black churches are out of the will of God if they're speaking English. Are you listening to me? We have a church that only t speaks in Punjabi, so that is going to naturally, because people don't speak English, you're going to have more or less the same culture. That's okay, because it's a language barrier. But if you're speaking a language that everybody else speaks, there should be no black church, white church, Chinese church. It should be open to all. It should be everybody come and gather. Bring your different cultures. Bring your varieties. We, I don't see you that way. We are one in Christ. That's how God intended it. Not every church acts that way. But we act, we act that way. That's why we have 34 nationalities in our church, and it's growing. I need some more native Indian people, you know, first nations. We better start getting, getting some in. I don't, I don't, I need somebody with feathers to come in here. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I'm just going to dance with them. Praise God. Let's worship Jesus with the eagle feathers one morning. Hallelujah. Why not? They're going to be worshiping around the throne. I can see Taylor that they don't like it. Uh, the media has made skin color a focus and they get their ratings by division. We can't let that spirit of the world bleed into our pulpit. The word is the great equalizer, not skin. Not you trying to prove yourself to your boss. The word is the great equalizer. Because you can't help it if your boss has a problem with you. But the word is the great equalizer. You just trust God. He will make sure you come out on top. Don't just walk in love to that boss. Just walk in love. Just walk in love. Don't worry. The Lord is your defender. You don't have to be your own defender. Hallelujah. Praise God. We, are, we know nothing but in Christ. Racial issues are, the, are beneath the believer. Don't demean yourself to get into the gutter of racial issues when Jesus has raised you to sit with, in heavenly places with him in Christ. Hallelujah. Let me say one more thing Pastor Nancy said that I really liked. And she said, the skin of a person is nothing more than the color of the bricks of your house. Does Hortense get upset because her brick is a certain shade that's a little bit different to my brick? And then the rain comes along and says, you guys are both less than me because I have stone. <laughs> Snob. <laughs> Do we think we're better than each other because our bricks are different colors? Well, brother, the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your physical frame and flesh houses God. Yes. Our body is called a temple or a sanctuary or a house, a house of God. So if my house has little brown bricks and your house has more purpley colored bricks and your house has a bit of stone and your house has more of the deeper red color, do we look down at each other and say, well, I'm not talking to you because your bricks are different. That is ridiculous. Well, it's as ridiculous to say, I'm not talking to you because your skin's a different color than me. Your, your house bricks are like your skin color. It means nothing. What matters is what's in the house, not what the color of the bricks is. The person, the in Christ individual, that's what God's looking for. And you say, but then why did God make skin colors like this if there was going to be so much division? Well, I believe personally God made all these skin colors because he loves wondrous variety. He thinks black skin is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And he thinks white skin is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. And he loves that rich color that the Jews have and what the native Indians have and what the Oriental people, he loves it because he's not boring. He doesn't want everybody to look the same. He makes some people's eyes shaped a little different. He makes some people with Afro hair. He makes some people with straight hair. He makes some people bald like my precious brother over here. But he loves the wondrous variety 
of this man and this woman. I personally believe God loves interracial marriages because it brings wondrous variety together. I'm telling you. He loves it. I'd rather, I think he does love hair, but he loves it anyway. <laughs> he loves it. So can we remember that anything that causes the distinction, we fight against? Don't trip over gender. Don't trip over whether they're rich or poor. Don't trip over the color of their skin. This is what was happening. I'm, you say, why are you harping on this? Because this is what was happening in the early church while God was trying to thrust them forward and multiply their efforts. And what rose up? Disunity, discord, people angry with each other over something as stupid as food. And then on top of all of that, they made it into a race issue. You Greeks don't like us Jews. And da, da, da. And the men of God were so wise, they said, this is serious. We've got to deal with this. Because if you let this metastasize, it's going to destroy the church. But we're not going to let your little problem rob us of what's most valuable, which is giving ourselves continually to the seeking of God. So we're going to establish Holy Ghost-inspired, anointed men. In other words, don't put carnal people over these kind of problems. Put Holy Ghost men that have the anointing to deal with the problems of the people. Amen. Hallelujah. Why am I saying this? Because God has been talking to us about a surge that's coming. The price has to be paid. The price is a continual giving to the word and to prayer, both in my life and in yours. How much you do it is probably going to be a different amount than me because I'm required to do more because I, I have the time to do more and you don't necessarily with your jobs. But God wants all of us to do our part. And then he wants us to be forewarned is to be forearmed. There is going to be division that tries to come. It will come with people being upset with each other, being offended with each other, getting out of unity with each other. And and even, God forbid, going with race issues with each other in the local church. Don't let it happen. Amen. Amen. Teach the people they are in Christ. Amen. Oh, I, ho I hope you catch it. Yes. If you catch what I've said to you, I said more in this service than I did in the previous service about the race issue thing. But if you catch it, you'll be totally free. I think, Taylor, the biggest concern with young people, especially is, Pastor, I know that I don't, I'm not racist. I know that I see everybody the same, but my boss doesn't. Sure. My boss, I know, he, I know he looks at me. I know he looks at me with that look. I can't prove it to you, but I just know it. He's, not, he's overlooking my promotion because I'm black or because I'm this or because I'm that or because I'm overweight. There's a lot of different distinctions out there. Yeah. Or because I don't speak maybe with the right accent that he likes. If that's, and that does happen. You can't control everybody out there. But I want you to know that even if that's happening, don't fight that. Treat them with love and respect and go to your father and say, Father, I'm calling upon the rights of my tithing covenant. I have a right to increase. I have a right to prosper. And if he is stopping it because of his small mind and because of his yielding to false doctrine and sinful thoughts, remove him for me. Or give him a vision or have an angel walk into his room. I don't care what you do, but you do what you need to do because the blessing of Abraham is on me and I, he's not going to stop me. That's why you never have to worry about being taken advantage of if you truly understand that God is on you. You just give it some time and you will flow to the surface. Praise God. Amen. Are you still with me? So can I keep going a little bit? I had to deal with that because that's right in the Bible. It's right there for us to see. 
And we have to talk about distinctions because we're all in Christ. Now, what was the focus now? Let's get back to the focus. What was the focus, Jenny? That they're giving themselves continually to the word and prayer. And what has God been talking to me? I told you what's coming. Now I've got to talk to you about the price or positioning yourself. And that is going to be this verse, giving ourselves continually. So God's been dealing with me about a fasting regiment, about a prayer regiment, about a study regiment. And let me tell you this. When Lukey was really small, he's still small, he's only five. But when Lukey was two, let's say, I couldn't just let him go outside and do whatever he did because <laughs> he doesn't have enough developed mind to know don't walk in the street without looking. You know what I'm saying? There's certain things he's just not safe on. So I had to watch him all the time. But now that he's getting a little bit older, like yesterday, he put on his Iron Man suit with his Iron Man mask and he was ready to take the neighborhood. <laughs> And he can run out there on the street. We're in a very quiet area. There's no cars. He runs out, plays with the neighbor's kids, goes and does this. I don't have to watch every second because he's no longer two. He's a little bit older. And now that he's a little bit older, I can give him more responsibility. Quinn is 15. I don't watch Quinn virtually at all. If Quinny wants to go to the store, he goes to the store. I don't have to worry about him because he's older and he can handle more on his own. A church is like a child. When this church was a baby church, I had to be in the office every day. I had to do things. I used to count the offering. I used to make the bank deposits. I used to file the taxes for the church. I used to make the ministry of help schedules, Lorraine, before you took it over. I didn't do it as well as you, but I did it. I had made the phone calls. I did, did, got people baptized in the Holy, then followed up with them in the week. I cleaned. Well, when we were in my house, I cleaned. When we were in your house, thank God, God promoted me out and she cleaned. My point is that I've done, I've done every department that exists in every church I've worked for. Plus, I've done every department in this church. And I had to because there was no help. You've got to do what you've got to do. Now, when I'm here every day and I'm working 60, 70 hours a week, at the beginning, I was working 80 hours a week in the ministry plus a full-time job. That's why Jenny and I, we had some problems a little bit at the beginning, not like divorce or nothing, but I just would never, I never saw her. I just never saw her. If I wasn't working my full-time job, which was 37 and a half hours a week, I was working on the ministry. And it took every ounce of strength and every minute of my time. And there were days where we never even talked. She was, in, she was up and gone before I was up, and then I was back before she was asleep. We never even saw each other. And you can't have a marriage like that forever because it will start to wear on the fibers of that marriage. Right. And eventually, do you remember, you had a long talk with me and you said, I don't want to have to make you pick the ministry over me, but you better pick me because the ministry is your wife. Mm -hmm. And I made a change. Do you remember you that? Sure I repented and I made a change. But when you're young and you don't have any help or you have limited help and you don't have the money to pay people because you don't have enough people tithing. Do you understand how it works? The pastor has to do everything. And then as you get one or two staff members, he takes a little bit off his plate, but he still has to do a ton. And that happens when the church is a baby church. But when the church grows, and now we're almost into our 12th year, the church is now no longer a baby. It's almost more like a teenager type church. And you don't have to, you don't have to baby the church the same way you did as a, when you were a baby. Because now I've got nine people on staff, plus my wife and I, and they're very competent and they all have multitasking. There's never one person in one job. They do whatever's necessary. They have job descriptions, but they all have at least two or three main job descriptions. Plus they do whatever needs to be done. And they all work together as a beautiful team and they get the job done. Amen. I could have 15 staff, but the Lord said, don't hire staff until I unless I tell you to. First of all, because it's a waste of money. You don't need it. And second of all, the more people around, the more disunity will happen. 
It's easier to stay in unity when you have a smaller group. But as we grow, we're going to have to add more staff. But right now we have nine, plus my wife and I, and they are competent and they are able to take the pressure off my shoulders. So zigzag was a lot of just laying the, laying the foundation, just getting things organizing and hiring the staff. Do you understand? We have come into a wonderful season called Hebron. Now I don't, it's not a baby. Ziglag was the baby years. Hebron are the teenage years. We are now old enough and they can take enough responsibility that I don't have to be here every single day. And what, what does that allow me to do? Sleep in all day long? Go play golf, which I don't even like, so that's a bad example for me, but go ride my motorcycle all day long. I love fishing, go fishing all day long. No, no, it doesn't mean that I do nothing because now they're able to take the responsibility. What it means is it gives me the time, which I never had before, to give myself continually to the word and prayer because without that, the church won't multiply. Are you following me? In the early days, I couldn't do that the same measure because the job had to get done. But now that we are built up a little bit more, the job can get done and I don't have to be in here every day and there's help with counseling and there's help with this so I can focus on what my real job is and that is to seek God, to fast. You say, well, that's not a real job. Well, I guess you've never done it because there are many days where I wake up and I say, Lord, I would give $1,000 to have a regular job today. Because fasting is not easy. Praying all day you think is glorious, it can take effort. Seeking God and waiting on him quietly takes effort. Reading and studying the Bible takes effort. And then of course there are days where I'm in and we're counseling and we're doing administration and all that kind of stuff. What I'm saying is I do it because it's a great honor that God's given me, but it's not just a flowery bed of ease every day. It takes effort to give yourself continually and it's harder than people think. But I can do it now, Jenny, and I am doing it, and I'll continue to do it. Why? Because the church is a teenage church, and the staff can handle responsibilities that they couldn't handle before because they weren't on staff before. So now it has freed me up. But I said to Pastor Nancy, Pastor, shouldn't I be, because one pastor I know, he sets cameras up all over the church, and he watches the staff, everything they do, they watch. If the staff goes to the bathroom and is in the bathroom too long, he knows. And so he told me, this is a great system, Pastor Craig. You should put it in your church. I know everything the staff do at every second of the day. And I thought, well, that's one way to keep, a, keep an eye on them. And so I said, Lord, what do you think? And I heard the Holy Ghost say, don't you do that. Now, I'm not judging him. He can do whatever he wants. Maybe God told him to do that. The Lord said, don't you do that. He said, it won't produce an atmosphere of peace amongst the staff if they feel watched every second. But I said, but Lord, some of them are naughty. Especially... And her seed. I said, Lord, some of them, I know they're not doing their work. I know they're just playing games. I know it. I just know it. So I said, if I don't put cameras in or if I'm not physically there all the time, how am I going to catch them in their evil? Because how am I supposed to give myself continually? What if, what if something goes wrong? And, and, and Pastor Nancy, he didn't answer me, but Pastor Nancy gave me the answer. And she said, Pastor Craig, why don't you just be like John Osteen? And like her, when she was pastoring, she did the same thing. Now she's not pastoring anymore. You know what John Osteen used to do? Because he had to give himself continually. That's why he had a 12,000 member church. Because God won't multiply unless you give yourself continually. 
Now you can grow your church in the flesh by telling everybody they can have sex whenever they want and they don't have to tithe. Oh, then all of your rat friends are going to gather together. Wow, let's be in a church. We have no responsibility. We don't have to live holy at all. We can do whatever we want. It's easy to grow a church like that. But that's not God building it. That's flesh building it. That's why God said to Dr. Dufresne, there's a flesh church and there's a spirit church. The spirit church who is God has built the church on the word. The flesh church is people have gathered because there's no accountability. There's a lot of big churches that are flesh churches. I'm not interested in that. I want God to grow it slow, but grow it strong and have it on the rock of the word with the revelation of the spirit and have people that are righteous, godly people that love God in our church. And we have a church full of them, 400 strong, and we're growing. Well, the reason I say that is because a lot of, a lot of churches, you can grow quick. Now, John Osteen was a word and spirit man. That's Joel Osteen's father. And he built his church on the solid rock of the word. With 12,000 people and hundreds of staff members, you can't, you know how much counseling? I mean, you just, there's a limit where now you just can't counsel anymore. You just, there's just too much. And if he's going to give himself continually, see, that's how God grows the spirit church, giving yourself continually. The way you grow the flesh church is just preach to live like the devil. Then everybody will gather because they're all carnal. But if you want God to build your church on the rock, you have to preach righteousness and God has to add and build that church, but it takes time. So God's way of doing it is the ministers have to give themselves continually if he's going to grow it. Now, if the flesh church wants to grow themselves, the ministers can golf all day. They don't have to give themselves to anything other than the flesh because that's all they've got is flesh. But when God builds it, Mary Chris, he says, ministers, if you don't do this, I don't multiply you. And congregation to a measure, if you don't follow the pastor's example and be a people of prayer and righteousness, I will not multiply you. But obviously he is being multiplied, John Osteen, because he's growing, the vision is growing, they're taking the devil's kingdom. But he's not around all the time because he has to give himself continually. So he said, Lord, just what I said, what am I going to do? I've only got nine, he has hundreds of staff. Obviously not all of them are doing the right thing. Some of them probably are going to whisper and, 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 you know, just whatever happens in staff, division and problems and laziness and all that stuff. He said, Lord, what do I do? How do I control it if I'm not there all the time? And you know, the Holy Ghost told him, he said, I want you to pastor by the spirit. And he said, okay. So he would spend time doing his administration normally, counseling if he had time, be at home, seeking God, fasting and praying most of the week. And then you know what he did? He'd come in one day. I don't know if it was one day a week, but it, Pastor Nancy didn't specify how often he would come in, but it seemed to me that it was like once or twice every, every month. So it might've been once a week, might've been once every other week. I don't know, but it wasn't very often, but he would come and you know what he would do? He'd start, they had a big, huge building. He would start on one end of the building and he'd start to walk. And as he walked, he'd go, and he'd say, staff, I'm not here. Go about your business don't talk to me. I'm not here for questions. I'm not here to sign papers. Ignore me. Go about your work. And he'd start to walk through the hallways praying in tongues. And he'd walk past the offices praying in tongues. And all then nothing. He's just going, nothing. And then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost would say, stop. And he'd stop. And he'd say, turn left, go in that office. And God would show him exactly what the problems were happening with the staff in that office. These are talking about that. They're doing that. Check that book. People were stealing. God would tell them. If people were in disagreement, God would tell them. If people were talking about him behind his back, God would tell them. And he'd deal with that, sometimes fire people. He'd go back out in the hallway, and he'd walk and walk until the Holy Ghost said, stop, there's problems in that room, go fix it. And he'd go in and God would show him what the problems are and he'd fix it and he'd go back out and he'd walk again. And he did that every couple of weeks to keep his church clean. 
but he didn't have to be there five days a week either. Because let me tell you something, no matter what you think you're getting away with, the Holy Ghost sees exactly what you're doing. When you steal the paperclip at work, God saw it. When you watch that movie that's a little more racy than you should, God saw it. He'll give you mercy because he loves you, but don't think for a second that you've got away with it. He sees everything. What Taylor does, God sees him. Now, is Taylor perfect? No, he's almost, but he's not quite there yet. Now, if Taylor does something wrong, is God going to tell me right away? Probably not, because it's called mercy. God will deal with him. You shouldn't do that. And then he does it again. I told you, you shouldn't do that. And then he does it again. Taylor, I told you, stop doing that. Yes, Lord, I repent. Yes, Lord, I repent. If he keeps going and he will not change by the stubbornness of his own will, then God will say, Pastor Craig, deal with that. But he'll give that person a long season out of dignity for them, out of self-respect for them, to not embarrass them, to help them deal with it in their own lives. But you see, he will keep the church clean because if somebody out there is having sex and they shouldn't be, and and they think it's their business because their sex life is, no, your sex life is my business. Did you hear me? Your sex life is your business as long as it's with your wife or your husband. But if you're doing it outside your wife and your husband, it becomes my business. But it don't become my business until God tells me. Because God will keep it real quiet between you and him for a long time. And he'll be dealing with you. Change that, change that, change that. And when you finally run God's patience out, talk about the patience of Job. What about the patience of God? When you exhaust God's patience, that's when God says, you're the pastor, deal with it, kick him out. And I've had to do it more than once. Kick people out. Because it's not to embarrass them or hurt them, but they have thumbed their nose at God, not at me. And God is now saying enough is enough. But did you notice how long God was patient with them? How now God would not embarrass them. But then sometimes judgment has to come. But you see, God sees my staff. He sees what they're doing. And he don't tell me unless it's needful. And it's very rare because they're such wonderful staff. Now you know what God sees what I'm doing. If I'm, if I'm casting off restraint and doing whatever I want and wasting time, God sees that. And now you see, what will God do with me? You, I'm trying to help you. He'll let it go. He'll watch me. He'll convict 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 me. He'll give me long season of mercy. But if I don't change, guess what? Ring, 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 ring. And it's happened more than once. Hello? Pastor Craig, it's Pastor Nancy. Oh my God. Yeah, yes, Pastor. Hi, how you doing? God told me to call you. When she's disciplining you, she cuts right through all the nonsense and she gets right to it. And I can tell by the tone of her voice that I'm in trouble. And all of my little, oh, hi, Pastor. That don't work. And she says, God told me about this. You need to deal with that. Now you see the danger when a pastor doesn't have a spiritual parent? See, every person has a spiritual, a a boss at work. These people have a boss at work. But when the boss doesn't have a boss, then the boss has no accountability. And the boss can do whatever he wants and lose his entire ministry. That's why you need a spiritual parent. And a spiritual parent that isn't a yes man. A spiritual parent that isn't afraid you won't invite them back to preach at your church if they correct you. You see the safety here? But rarely, I can count less than maybe two or three times in all the years I've had Pastor Nancy as my parent where she's actually firmly corrected me. And out of all of that time, why has it only been two or three times? Because God deals with me a long time. 
And he only deals with her to deal with me when I, when I utterly reject what he says. Is it possible? Yes, and I've done it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I, I do it very rarely, and my goal is to never do it again. So when God says something, what is he telling me, Lorraine? And like I said on Wednesday, he's saying, Craig, there's a weed. Pull it out. No! I like you, weed. Grow and multiply in the name of Jesus. Now two weeds come. Craig, the weed. No! Make four. Make four. You see what I'm saying? I don't repent quickly. I don't deal with it. Then before the, weed, the field is taken over with weeds, now I'm maybe 10 or 20. Ring, ring. Ring, ring. Pastor Craig, you better deal with that weed or you're going to lose your ministry. And then I, and then I get real afraid. <laughs> so I start pulling. I spend the whole day just pulling them out. And I don't say, no. That's what some of you say to your pastor. No. I want you to give to the building fund. No. You better pull that weed out before it overcomes you. I want you to walk in love. No. I want you to get racism out of your heart. No. I want you to like Nigel even though he has no hair. No. I want you to like Reverend Greg. And the whole congregation says, no. <laughs> Poor Greg's not here to defend himself. I got to end. I got to end, Jennifer. We got to give ourselves. <laughs> Who said that? Did somebody say no? Well, they deserve a, give them a frosty from Wendy's or something. Praise God. Thank you, whoever said that. I really appreciate that. That actually made my day. Praise God. <laughs> my, my simple point of today's message, I know I'm saying a lot of different things, but what I'm trying to get the theme of it, if you remember anything, is God wants to multiply your life. Bless you personally. And he wants to multiply this church. But one of the prices is giving yourself continually. Your continually will look a little different to mine because you have a regular job and my job is the ministry. So I'm going to be required to do a lot more than you will. But you do have a part. Do the responsibilities of life, but don't let it rob you of seeking God. I cannot let the problems with the congregation, the need for counseling, this, that, rob me. I have to deal with it with Holy Ghost assistance. You see, you're my Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. God has given me Stephens, right? To help me deal with problems, but the, Peter has to go into the upper room and seek God with all of his heart. Because if the Stephen seeks God, Stephen is not in that role yet. Stephen does the job, the work, the grunt. He has to be full of the Holy Ghost to run a difficult congregation like that, especially with race issues. But the minister stayed in the upper room seeking God, fasting and praying. Why? Because for God to build the church, the minister has to pay a price and God won't multiply it. The church can grow in the flesh, but if God's going to grow it in the spirit, the pastor must pay a price in the spirit. So he's been talking to me, Cola, son, I need you to give yourself continually. And I've been saying, but Lord, I'm not there that much. How am I going to do? Pray, walk through the hallways and pray in the Holy Ghost. Believe me, you only got nine. It's not that hard. If there's a problem, I'll show you. And if I don't show you, just leave them alone to do their work. They're good people and they're working as hard as they can. Just pastor it by the Spirit. He's raised up Taylor and others to help me with counseling because I can't deal with every little person's, every little tiny thing if I'm going to give myself continually. Now, big things, I have to deal with it. But I have to give myself Jenny. Can I read this before we close? I know we don't have... Okay, well, you and I hurry now, wife. You don't get a free pass because it's your birthday. So mean. 
I'm already past my time, so I'm going to be real quick, but I want you to listen to this because it really blessed me. Vernon McGee, he's on the radio. He's long gone home to be with Jesus. He was an older minister, totally different denomination than us. A very kind of old-fashioned radio program. It's still on there today. It's called The Bible Bus. And he te- he's a wonderful theologian, and he teaches uh, going through the Bible. Yeah, but uh, they call it getting on the Bible bus. I know, yeah, I've heard it, I've heard it. And the 1930 choir is singing in the background. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. But despite the fact that he had no revelation of healing or prosperity or anything like that, he was a very good theologian and he does share a lot of very good things, even though, said, we've got to take stuff. If we can take it, we can take it. We spit out the sticks and we eat the hay. Do you understand? But he shared something that I thought was wonderful. And, and it was about the, uh, the, the high priest going into the presence of God once a year. They had pomegranates and they had bells. Why do they have pomegranates on the bottom of those high priestly garments? Because a pomegranate was called the king's fruit, the priest's fruit. It had a, the crown of a pomegranate looks like a, the, the top part looks like a crown. The insides of a pomegranate looks like the ventricles of a heart almost identically to a heart. And there are 612 seeds in a pomegranate and there are 612 laws of Moses. And what God was trying to say is every seed represents a law. And I don't just want the law to be in your mind. I want it to be in your heart. I want you to love me and not do it legalistically, but do it because you love me. And so that represented that the law of God in his heart. And then there was a bell there because while he was doing his ministry unto the Lord, the bell would ring. And if he went in sinfully, the bell would stop ringing because God struck him dead. And if they didn't hear the bells, they dragged him out by the rope attached to his ankle. Are you with me? You better know you've heard from God to be the high priest. That's a very heavy job description. Now, in the New Testament, we're not like the Old Testament. He went in on behalf of the people. The people couldn't go into God's presence, and he did. And he ministered unto the Lord for the people and sprinkled the blood to cover their sin for the people. Now, in the New Testament, we don't need a priest to go in for us because Jesus is our priest. Yes. Do you understand? Now, Jesus sprinkled us with his blood. So take the symbolism here and don't stumble. But just as the priest went in for the people to serve the people by covering their sin, there is a New Testament equivalent to that, although it's not exactly the same. The high priest is like the pastor. The Lord doesn't give you the sermon. He gives me the sermon. So I have to go into the presence of the Lord, giving myself continually. And I have to seek God in the holy place. And God downloads into me his words for the congregation for that week. Now you have access to God, unlike they did, you have access because you're a New Testament believer, but God, there's certain things God will never give you because you don't stand in that office. So you can't get the sermons the same way that he'll give it to me, not because I'm special, but because the office is special. Do you understand? So from one perspective, I can go into the holy place and seek God all week. And as I'm doing that, I'm serving you. As I get downloads from heaven to come and preach it to you on Sunday, what I've done is I've actually served you. Do you understand? Because God's giving something to me that he wouldn't give to you. But through my speaking to you, his words by revelation of his spirit can get into your heart and can give you victory. So from the, that perspective, when the priest would go in and they would hear the bell, what they were saying is the bell represented he's ministering on our behalf. He's ministering on our behalf. Now, when a pastor goes in and seeks God all week and God downloads something special for the congregation, it's like he's going and he's doing it for you. When he comes and preaches to you, what is it? The bell is ringing. 
Do you understand? When he's preaching, God didn't give it to you. God gave it to him because of the office. And now he is serving you by feeding you what God showed him. And it's like the bell is ringing. It's like the minister is ministering on your behalf and giving you answers from God and the bell is ringing. Do you understand? Are you understanding what I'm saying? When I'm preaching to you on Sunday morning, whether you realize it or not, a bell is ringing in the spirit. If I don't do right, the bell stops ringing and I lose my ministry. And you're going to drag me out of there. But I'm going to do what's right, Nigel. And the bell's going to ring until the day of the rapture. Because I'm going in to seek God with all my heart. And I'm going to get downloaded what he needs to download. And I'm going to come out and I'm going to give it to you. And the bell is going to ring while I minister to youth with the Lord's power. Do you see that beautiful picture? So when I say this, Nick, when I read this paragraph, and then we'll close the service. When I read this, you'll understand. I had to give you that backstory so you'd understand what it means to say ringing the bell. When I'm preaching, I'm ringing the bell. Now, what did the high priest wear? There was a band he would wear around his head. It's called a mitre. And on the mitre was engraved the words, holiness unto the Lord. If I were to say, Brother Wayne, you need to be more holy. What would most people think? That he's got some kind of sin in his life that he needs to improve one, right? That's what most of us would think. But you know, holiness does not just mean not sinning. Holiness, the word holiness in Hebrew means to be sanctified or separated unto God. To say that somebody is holy doesn't just mean they're living pure. It means they have separated their life to God. So if I said, Taylor, improve your holiness, that doesn't just mean don't sin. It means do it's not just what he shouldn't do. It also means what he should do. It means separate to God, which includes not sinning, but it also includes what you should do is seeking him more. Yeah. Holiness means to seek God with all your heart because it means to be separated from this world and sanctified unto God. And that's what the high priest would wear. What was the high priest saying? I have given myself wholly to the Lord and I've separated myself for the work of the ministry. What did God tell these people in Acts chapter 6 verse 4? He was basically telling them, wear a mitre that says holiness unto the Lord. What is he saying to them? I want you to separate yourself and not be distracted and give yourself continually to the ministry of the prayer and the word so that you're ready to feed and serve my people when you come out into the service. That is what the high priest did in the Old Testament and that is what the minister does in the New Testament. It is about a separated life. Yeah. And sometimes I don't always get to spend as much time with all of you as I'd like, but you need, to, you need to understand that the job description is more valuable that I feed you the words of heaven and that the bell rings Yes. than it is that you feel all these feelings about, well, he never said hi to me in the hallway. You, you, you see the difference? Let me read you this and then we'll go. I used to have an elder in one of my churches when I was a young man who was a great encouragement to me. This is Dr. Vernon McGee. He was a wonderful man of God and he would come to me on a Sunday morning and say, well, pastor, you rang the bell today. If you want to know the truth, I really did not. I preached some of the lousiest sermons in those early days. But what his point was is that because he was a student of the Bible and he, that he was able to come into the presence of Jesus through my preaching of the word. 
to hear the bells of the high priest was a wonderful experience. What a picture the garments of the high priest give. The mitre on his head said, holiness unto the Lord. This speaks of holiness as it has to do with the inner life, but the most important thing is that it means the high priest was wholly given and separated to the work of the ministry. Holy means anything that is set aside for God. See, Acts 6, 4 means you're set aside. There is something I would like to say to preachers today. I have been a preacher for a long time now, and I know there are a great many people who want a preacher to do everything under the sun. They want him to socialize with them. They want them to backslap them, pat them on the back. They want them to, to hold their hands and be a nursemaid to them as well as preach the gospel. No wonder many preachers have nervous breakdowns because they can't take the pressure that all the people put on them. And that's why sabbaticals are very common in denominations. Every three years, the pastor gets six months off. The church pays for them to go to Hawaii for six months. Man, I wish I was part of a denomination. <laughs> Praise God, I don't need it because I, I, I don't let the pressure come on me. No wonder many preachers have, a nerv have nervous breakdowns. Now watch now, many preachers are nothing more than wet nurses for a lot of little babies in Christ. They go around burping them all the time. The preacher who stands in the pulpit today ought to be able to wear the mitre holiness unto the Lord. That is, he should have enough time to prepare and seek God in the week. He should have time to spend before God in prayer and fasting. I am amazed at the number of people who invite the preacher out on a Saturday night. That should be the pastor's day for meditation and preparation for Sunday morning. I'll end with this. I once had an elder say to me, Pastor Vernon, I appreciate you coming to see me, but I want to tell you what I would rather you do. I want you to go home and spend time preparing a message instead of visiting me in my house. My business is difficult for me these days, and I am getting weary and discouraged. When I come to church on Sunday, I want to hear something out of your mouth that comes from God. I need help and encouragement in my life, and I hope that you'll go home instead of visiting me and spend Saturday praying and seeking God so that when you hear from heaven, I will hear from heaven Sunday morning. Amen. Do you see that? That's somebody who knows the role of a pastor. Yes, that's right. I think he had a right to say that, my friend. We need to recognize the fact that preachers ought to wear the mitre, holiness unto the Lord. Without it, our ministry to the Lord will not be effective. A lot of people would rather me come and hang out with them than tell me, Pastor, your job is to get in that prayer closet because I've got problems in my life. I've got issues and needs in my life. And when I come on Sunday morning, I don't want a dog and pony show. I don't want you to buck and holler and get emotional. I want to hear from God what God has downloaded to you in the Holy of Holies. Because while you're in there seeking God, you're ringing the bell for me. And when you come out and preach to me, you're ringing the bell for me. And while you're downloading heaven into my heart on Sunday morning, you're ringing the bell for me. Amen. Be my preacher. Be my priest. Not priest like the Catholics. But you know what I'm trying to say. Be the man that goes before God and then comes and feeds me God's word. Don't waste your time on the lesser things. Go and seek God so that you have something to offer me because you know what? I need something on Sunday, preacher. I don't come here just to feel good. I need God to download something to me. And if he hasn't downloaded nothing to you, he'll download nothing to me. Yeah. And if you're out there doing all this other stuff, instead of praying, he has no time to download it to you. 
You see the role of the pastor? I have to try to teach this to you because what's coming, my brother and sister, is a dramatic influx of divine joinings causing us to surge forward. But it's going to take giving myself continually. And that means you've got to pray for me that I do it skillfully and not be offended with me when you see me doing it because it may, might give you less time with me, but I promise you, you'll be better off in the long run Amen. because the bells are ringing. When I preach a good sermon, you need to say, Pastor, you rang the bell today. <laughs> try it, try it, try it. Just, just, just. Oh my God. I don't think you meant it, but I'll take it by faith. Maybe next week and he'll mean it. I could tell there was naughtiness in his heart because I, I didn't, maybe I didn't preach that good today, but I tried my best. The point is I want to ring the bell for you. I want you to hear the bells. My pastor's praying. My pastor's praying. My pastor's preaching what he heard in prayer. The bell is ringing and I am being taken care of in the local church. Isn't that marvelous? Praise God. A lot of different things shared today. I hope some of it stuck to you. Amen. Don't come to church like a Teflon boy or girl. Don't let everything slide right off you. Okay? Teflon's great for eggs, but it's not good for church. We want it to stick to you. We want it to stick to you. We want you to leave with revelation nuggets stuck all over you. All right, that's right. He said no distinction. So it don't matter if my boss is a racist, the blessing of Abraham will take care of that. All right, and he also said, I have to pray more. Okay. And he also said, don't, don't be offended if he, doesn't, if he has to go and pray because the bells are ringing. Jenny, did the bells ring today a little bit? Amen. Did you hear a little tinkle? Maybe next week will be a higher tinkle. <laughs> but we started. Amen. Praise God. God. What am I doing, Taylor? I'm giving myself continually. Because right. God's going to multiply it. Praise continually. God. Continually. 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 Praise God. Father, I bless these precious people. I thank you for every one of them. Lord, they're part of this church by divine appointment. It was not coincidence or chance. You planted them in the vineyard and there's fruit that they are to bear. I thank you, Lord, that they pray for me and Pastor Jenny because the responsibility on us is great, but it's not great in a way to break us. But Lord, it does require a price to pay and we are willing to lay our lives on the altar and pay it. And Lord, I need them to lay themselves on the altar as much as you tell them to lay themselves there because all of us have to get to the place where we are giving ourselves more and more continually to the ministry in our personal lives and corporately of the word and prayer. Lord, it's going to take that for you to multiply this vision and you're going to multiply it, but this is part of the price. More prayer, more seeking you and the congregation understanding my role my role is to get into the Holy of Holies with the bells ringing and then to ring the bells from the pulpit Sunday morning. That's my job. Hallelujah. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful Old Testament symbolic picture for the new. The bells are ringing today in Jesus' name. Glory to God.